Amen. Y'all be seated. We have been studying the Gospel of John primarily uh, for the last really almost six months. We've taken a couple uh, a couple weeks break during Christmas time and focused on some special sermons. And then la- last week on Easter, though we were in the Gospel of John, we weren't walking straight through it the way we have been. But today we come to the beginning of that third section that I've talked about, beginning in John chapter 13. We have Jesus's last words. Now, really, uh, here in the Gospel of John, in in verse thir- or in chapter 13, you have the beginning of that last night. Now, one of the things that we've pointed out as we've walked through the Gospel of John is Jesus was, his whole life was pointed to a particular time, a particular event, a particular hour. And uh, we've noted that all the way back in John chapter 2 when the wedding feast was taking place and Jesus turned water into wine, in that event, they tried to make him a king. And and at that point, Jesus uh, essentially said, my hour has not yet come. And that's a phrase that we saw several times during the Gospel of John. It appeared when they tried to kill him. It appeared when they tried to stone him. Uh, Several times, John would make mention that Jesus' hour had not yet come. Well, beginning in John chapter 11, we noted that there was a change in tone in the Gospel of John as Jesus made the decision to go toward Jerusalem to uh, where he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Uh, that tone began to change, that Jesus knew his hour was right around the corner. In John chapter 12, uh, the last couple of weeks, we had looked at the, the uh, when Jesus came into Jerusalem in the triumphal entry, and you begin to hear that, that change in tone. Well, you'll see it specifically today. Now, as Jesus comes the night before he's arrested, and in John, instead of giving us the picture of the Lord's Supper, John uses something else as the image of Jesus' cleansing uh, that we can learn from, and that is the washing of the disciples' feet. So that's where we come to today. Now, as we read through this, you're going to notice there's several things you're going to go, wow, that's confusing. Wow, that, I'm not sure about that. How, how does that make sense? Uh, because we had the Lord's Supper today, I'm going to be limited in the amount of those uh, more confusing things that I'm going to be able to answer. And so I'm going to focus in on uh, three really important truths that we need to take away from it. Uh, maybe the Lord will give us time at some point to, to dig into those those. Uh, more crazier, uh, more difficult things. But read with me, and you'll hear that change of tone that we talked about. John chapter 13, we're going to look at verses 1 through 20. The Scripture says, Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart the world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now when it was time for supper, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands and that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, and took a towel and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water in a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, this is a key verse, so hang on to this. What I'm doing you don't realize now, but afterward you'll understand. You'll never wash my feet, Peter said. (laughs) Jesus replied, If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. (laughs) So 
Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. One who has bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. And this is why he said, not all of you are clean. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and he said to them, do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly, since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. Truly I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I'm not speaking about all of you. I, I know those I have chosen, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. The one who eats my bread has raised his heel against me. I'm telling you now, before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. Pause there for just a moment, because the language that he uses there, he says, so that when it happens, you will believe that I am. This is that Greek phrase we've talked about several weeks ago. Uh, that, that phrase, I am, connects Jesus with the great I am of the Old Testament, the God of the burning bush. So this is one of those other times where Jesus clearly connects himself with that I am statement to the God of the Old Testament. Then truly I tell you, whoever receives anyone I, re I send receives me, and the one who receives me receives him who sent me. So, like I said, there's a lot here, but I want to I look at three major uh, points that we can draw out of this. And, uh, and honestly, there's enough there uh, in these three points that, that you and I can, will fall under conviction. The first uh, eight verses of this uh, passage, or, or first ten verses, I guess, deal specifically with uh, the foot washing. And, and there's one major point there. And then you see down in the second half of the text, beginning down in, in verse 12, where Jesus comes back and he explains uh, the washing of the feet and what an example that provides to them. But included in both of those, at the end of each one of those sections, is one other lesson that I want us to draw out. So let's just begin with the first one. And, and, and here you see this incredible image of Jesus the great I am, don't miss that, the king of kings and lord of lords, taking off his outer garment, essentially in his underclothing, and wrapping a towel around himself and bowing down to wash the feet of his disciples. Now, Kevin pointed out as we discussed this passage and prayed over it in staff meeting on Wednesday that, that this, is, is, this is an image, too, of, of what Jesus had done when he stepped out of heaven. Here, the Son of God, the one who, who was the Word before the beginning of the earth, the one who spoke this earth and all that's in it into existence, God himself, Jesus, who is seated at the right hand of the Father in all of glory, in all of its majesty, had already taken off his Godhead. He's still God when he's walking around on earth, but the Scripture says in Philippians chapter 2 that he considered his deity something not to be held on to. He surrendered that so that he could take on human flesh and die like we die. And even Philippians 2 says, die the death of the cross on our behalf. So you have this image that Jesus has given them right before them where he takes off his outer garment and puts on servant's clothing. He no longer looks like the teacher 
the rabbi, the leader. Now he is the servant. The God of the universe had already set aside his glory to enter into this world, to come into a human body, and now he's humbling himself to the lowest of lows to wash the feet of his disciples. Now, the image that I believe is most important in this is what we, what we see drawn out of this discussion between he and Peter. I love Peter. Peter just says what's on his mind, right? He, he looks at Jesus and, and he says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Like, you're the teacher. You're the rabbi. And, and ultimately, whether at this point Peter believed or understood that Jesus was the great I am, I'm not sure. But, but Peter did not want uh, things to get turned on their head. He's supposed to be the servant, not Jesus. And here Jesus is bound down to wash his feet. Now, sometimes with many of us, it's just an issue of pride that is there. Peter in his pride didn't want Jesus down there washing his feet. And so Peter, you know, asked that you're going to wash my feet. And, and this is key. Jesus says, you don't fully understand what I'm doing right now. By taking off my garments and humbling myself to wash your feet, you don't fully get it yet. You will. You'll look back and you'll understand. What is it that he doesn't fully get? I think that it connects directly to the hour for which Jesus had come, his death on the cross. The cleansing that they were about to receive the next day was the most important of all. And, and Jesus is telling him, you don't fully understand what I'm doing right now, but you will. You'll understand soon. Now, why is it that I'm so confident that that's the best interpretation of this passage? Because of what Jesus says next. Peter says, you won't wash my feet until the end of the age. Our CSB translated, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus' reply could not be any more direct when he looked into to Peter's eyes. He said, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. An exact word-for-word -word translation from the original Greek would, would be something like this. If I don't wash you, then you have nothing to share with me. If I don't wash you, then you share nothing with me. If you, if, you are not, if you don't allow me to wash your feet, if you don't allow me to wash you, Peter, then you can share nothing with me. You don't understand what it means right now, but tomorrow you will. Tomorrow when I hang on the cross and I shed my blood, you're going to begin to understand. Now remember, in this same upper room, though John doesn't record it, Matthew, Mark, and Luke record that he also gives them the Lord's Supper. He tells them that my body is going to be broken for you and my blood is going to be shed so that you could have forgiveness of your sins. And so, though John is focused on the foot washing and Matthew, Mark, and Luke are, are focused on the Lord's Supper, all of that's taking place right here in the upper room at the same time. And, and the, the disciples don't fully understand what's about to happen tomorrow. We're going to see at the beginning of John 14 where they're starting to worry. They still don't get it. But, but Jesus just says, look, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust me. 
You don't understand what's going on yet, but here's the most important thing that you're going to see. This foot washing, I believe, is a metaphor for the cross. It's a picture for the cleansing that he was going to offer to us on the cross. It's not the water that cleanses our soul, just like in baptism. When we, when we submit to the baptismal waters and we are baptized into the body of Christ, so to speak, the, the baptism is just a symbol of what Christ has already done on the inside. The Lord's Supper, it, it, the, the, the bread and the, the, the juice, I don't believe, become the, the body and blood of Christ. They represent the, the body and blood of Christ. And here, in the foot washing, Jesus tells Peter, if you don't allow me to wash you, you cannot share anything with me. That word share, he uses several other times going forward. And, and what is it that we share when we allow Christ to wash us? We share in his death. We share in his burial. We share in his resurrection. We share in eternal life. God has prepared an inheritance for those who would put their faith and trust in the cleansing blood of Christ to wash us clean of our sins. God has given us an opportunity to receive that gift of cleansing so that we could have everlasting life. You cannot share in eternity unless you first have humbled yourself to be cleansed by Christ. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews is another book that we walked through a couple years ago, and this is one of the passages that my mind goes back to. When we do the Lord's Supper or, or when we, uh, we come to uh, something like this, in Hebrews 9, 14, the Scripture says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciences from dead work so that we can serve the living God? Therefore, he, Jesus, is the mediator of the new covenant so that those who are called might receive the promise of the eternal inheritance because a death has taken place for redemption from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Jesus died and shed his blood that we could receive forgiveness of sins. That's what we celebrate. That's what we remember in the Lord's Supper when we... Uh, think of and we reflect on that body of Christ that was broken and that blood of Christ that was shed for us. It is through Jesus' shed blood on the cross that we can have forgiveness of sins. Matthew, as he's writing about the same evening, he's talking about the Lord's Supper in Matthew 26, 28. He says that Jesus told the disciples specifically, this is the blood of the covenant, or this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus looked Peter in the eye and he said, Peter, if you don't humble yourself and allow me to cleanse you, you can't share anything with me. It's a crucial truth for every one of us to grasp. See, you can go to church you can follow Jesus. You can walk with Jesus. You could be a leader with Jesus. Peter was not only one of the 12, he was one of the three closest to Jesus. But Jesus still looked Peter in the eye and says, if you won't humble yourself enough to allow me to cleanse you, you share nothing with me. Absolutely nothing. That's, that, that's pretty harsh. That means that Peter would not have had eternal life. Peter would not have shared in the inheritance that God so desperately wanted to give Peter. Peter 
the great apostle, no matter how close he followed Jesus, no matter if he's willing to go to war for Jesus with his, with his sword in the next few hours, would share nothing with Christ if he did not allow Jesus to cleanse him. You know, the, the very root of the gospel, the core of the gospel is so simple. It's not easy for us to come to. There's people who can come up with all kinds of excuse not to humble themselves before the cross of Christ and receive the forgiveness that comes from Jesus. In fact, intellectuals oftentimes think that it's too simple. How could it, how could it be so simple that all God asks of me is that I believe in him, confess my sin, and be willing to follow him? That's all he asks. That's too simple. And yet Paul later, in, in, or earlier in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, oh, I pray that the devil doesn't deceive you from the simplicity that is Christ. It is simple. It's not easy because it requires a humbling. It requires us giving up on all of our ways of trying to get to Christ. See, Jesus is the only one that is qualified to make us clean before the Father. You can't clean yourself up enough to share in his eternal inheritance. You can't clean yourself up enough to be holy before the throne of God. Only the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross is enough to cleanse my soul of sin that I might receive forgiveness before a holy God. God basically says this, if you're unwilling to accept the gift of my son, I'm unwilling to offer you the gift of eternal life. Life comes only through the blood of Christ. He is the one and only way to eternal life. No, philo no philosophy, nothing else could be added to it. Not only that, it's not Jesus plus something else. It's not, it's not, let me cleanse you. And I think that this is part of the confusing text that we get into here. Peter, he's, <laughs> I love Peter. Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you something, a direct order, Peter. Let me wash your feet. It's symbolic of the cleansing that you need to receive, okay? If not, you can't share anything with me. And Peter, Peter looks at him and says, oh, okay. Then, then don't just wash my feet. Give me a shower. Give me a bath. Wash my head. Wash my hands. Wash me all. And Jesus is saying, that's not what it's all about. You need the cleansing that I offer, and that's it. If you'll receive the cleansing that I offer you, that is enough. I think we, we live in a world that says, well, I, I know that I need to, to repent and receive the cleansing that Christ offers, but I also need. See, Peter was going to be dealing with a, a, a false doctrine with a Galatian church not many days from now, not many years from this point, where they were going to say, well, yeah, you need to believe and have faith in the blood of Christ that was shed for you on the cross, but you also need to be circumcised. Jesus is saying, there's nothing else. If I cleanse you, you're clean. See, for, for someone to say, I, I, you've got to, you have to be, uh, put your faith and trust in Christ and repent. You have to believe, but you also have to, whatever else. You have to be baptized. You have to be circumcised, whatever else. That is the same thing as saying Jesus' blood on the cross was necessary, but not enough. I'm here to tell you, and I believe that Jesus is trying to communicate to the disciples what they don't yet understand. His blood shed on the cross was necessary. It is the only way to be cleansed, and it is enough to be cleansed. You don't need to add anything else to it. You don't need to add to what Jesus has already done. 
Jesus' blood is necessary for the cleansing that I need, and it's enough. No other doctrine, no other philosophy, no other theological uh, idea. Jesus shed his blood and died on the cross so that if I would believe in him, repent of my sins, and confess his lordship, I would be saved. Jesus is enough, but Jesus is also necessary. There's no way to be cleansed without faith in Christ. The second big idea here that I want you to see that really jumps up out of verses 12 and following is where Jesus says, now y'all have seen what I did. Do you, do you understand? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right when you say that. But if I'm your teacher and Lord, and I wash your feet, so also you ought to use that as an example for others. Jesus provides in this the greatest example of humility that we could ever imagine. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, stepped out of heaven, bowed down, and washed the feet of his servants. Within hours of the moment that he was going to die for them. Now, the greatest sacrifice Jesus made as Lord, was not washing their feet. It was what he was going to do a few hours later on the cross. But this is pointing them to that. This is helping them to understand what it truly means to be a leader, to be a teacher. And so, every time that I read this passage, there's two things that stand out to me. Here you have the God of the universe acting like a servant, washing the feet of his disciples. But even more than that, he bowed down and washed Peter's feet, who he knew that less than 12 hours later was going to vehemently deny that he ever even knew Jesus. One of the closest of Jesus' confidants, one of the three of the inner circle, Peter, who was going to be a leader in the early church, that same Peter was about to deny Christ three times while Jesus needed him most, and yet Jesus still bowed down and washed his feet. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's, it's a little bit more difficult for me to serve someone if I know they're about to stab me in the back. If, if they don't even like me, why do I want to serve them? If, if they're going to deny me, and, P, and Jesus knew it. Jesus knew what Peter was about to do, and he still humbled himself to wash Peter's feet. How about you? As God has called you to serve as one of his disciples, are you willing to serve those who would deny you, who would say negative things about you, who would turn their backs on you? But it gets even more powerful image than that. Because not only did he wash Peter's feet, Jesus washed Judas's feet. Judas, a few hours later, in fact, he was about to get up. He would get up and leave this meeting. 
He would get up and leave the upper room before the disciples did, and Judas was going to walk out that door. The disciples didn't realize what was going on, but Judas was going to walk out the door, and he was going to go to the Pharisees and the leaders. He'd already made a deal with them that he was going to sell Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. He was going to go to them, and he was going to lead that caravan the next morning during the dark to the Garden of Gethsemane to arrest Jesus. Not only that, but Judas, this this disciple who had who had claimed to be a follower of Christ, who had loved Jesus, who had listened to his teaching, was going to walk straight up to Jesus. And when Jesus looked him in the eye, and Jesus is going to say something like, Peter, just, I mean, Judas, just go ahead and do what you came to do. Judas leans forward and kisses Jesus on the cheek. And Jesus is arrested, put on trial, beaten, and dies within hours of that moment. That Judas, that same betrayer, received the same treatment, the same washing of his feet that James and John and Philip and Bartholomew and all the others received. That's an example of absolute service and humility from the Son of God. He washed Judas' feet. Now, this is an important lesson for anybody who would call themselves a Christian, but it's even more so important for those who God calls to a role of, of, of leadership in the church. Pastors, teachers, leaders, elders. I believe there's two offices in the church that God has given the New Testament. One is the, the, the office that I hold Kevin, Matthew, and, and uh, Nathan now hold as, as pastors in the church. And then there's the office of deacons. If God has placed you in one of those offices as a leader, you bear even more responsibility to submit and surrender and to serve. If you can't serve as Jesus did, if you can't submit to even those who would stab you in the back, who would mistreat you, who would say horrible things about you, if you can't submit like that, then you have no business calling yourself a leader in the church. Jesus told his disciples while he was right there with them, I give you an example that as I serve, this is how you ought to serve. Now, I'm, I'm here to tell you, that's not easy. It's a whole lot easier to be a pastor to somebody who's nice to me than it is to be there for them and to love them and encourage them and to, to pray for them when they've stabbed me in the back. But according to God's word, I don't have a choice. And in all reality, if you're going to be a follower of Christ, a servant of his, you don't either. And then finally, the third important kind of big thing that I want you to see here is an incredible warning for all. Because here we have Judas. You see Judas talked about in verses 10 and 11 uh, in that first section where Jesus says there's one who is not clean. You also see Jesus bring him back up at the end of the second section when he tells them that I know that the ones that I've chosen, those are going to be with me and those that aren't. And Judas is one of those. Judas is the one that looked like a disciple of Jesus on the outside but was rotten on the inside. 
That's really the bottom line. He walked with Jesus just like the other disciples. Not only had he walked with Jesus, listened to Jesus, learned from Jesus, he could probably quote what Jesus had to say. He also had, had been given, been entrusted with a, with a particular role. He was like one of the officers. He was the, the treasurer of the group. Even to the point that the disciples had no clue. On the outside, Judas looked okay. On the outside, Judas looked like a bona fide follower of Jesus Christ. He, he, had, he, he could speak the language. He, he had listened to Jesus' teaching. But I'm here to tell you that just because you know Jesus' teaching doesn't mean that you've been cleansed by his blood and you've been born again. Just because you serve Jesus doesn't mean that you've been washed by his blood and you're born again, that you're one of his. You, you can call yourself a follower of Jesus all you want. You can put it out there on Facebook. You can put it in your title. You can claim to be a follower of Christ. Judas did. But something was wrong on the inside. Have you ever met somebody who knew a whole lot more scripture than you? They could quote scripture. They could teach scripture. They, they went to church on a regular basis maybe. Maybe they even tithe. They gave great sums of money. And yet you just knew that they were mean. You didn't see love, joy, patience. I've met those people. Now, I'm kind of with the disciples. I can't say I'm definitively a judge that knows whether or not they have eternal life or not. See, the disciples, even when Judas, Jesus was teaching about this, Judas gets up to leave the upper room. Uh, they think that when he leaves, he's going to give some money to the poor or something. They don't know where he's going. And Scripture says that because they could not even imagine that Judas, who'd been with them all along, did not truly had not truly committed himself as a disciple of Jesus Christ. He, his heart had not been changed. He had not been transformed from the inside out. So just because you look like a Christian on the outside, or you speak like a Christian, or you've memorized scripture, or you go to church on a regular basis, that's not enough. This truly is a warning for every single one of us. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 7, he said, there's going to come a time at the end of the age when a lot of people are going to stand before me and they're going to say, Jesus, we did all these things in your name. And he's going to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. I wonder if Judas even knew. So I think, I would put it this way, there's only two people who know for sure where your heart stands before a holy God. God and you. I, as your pastor, I know many of you in here. I've heard your profession. I've seen your service. But like the disciples weren't sure about Judas, I, only God knows. And that's why we have to be careful about how we judge. Sometimes people make it obvious. But truly, only God knew. The disciples didn't know. Jesus knew that Judas was a betrayer, but the rest of the disciples didn't. You know and God knows, and sometimes we can fool ourselves. So here's my encouragement for you. Don't let yourself be fooled by the enemy. As best you can, lay your heart and your life open before God and say, God, 
I know I need to be cleansed by you. I know I need the blood of Christ to wash away my sin. I'm a sinner. I want to I receive your forgiveness. I want to repent and follow you to the best of my ability. But God, I can't do it on my own. I need you, Jesus. That's your hope. That's my hope. Cleansing of our sin can come from nowhere else except for Jesus. That if you have not received his cleansing, you will not share in his promises. You won't share in his resurrection, and you won't share in the inheritance that he so desperately desires to share with you in eternal life.